excited to be able to be here with you this morning. Uh, it is a great honor of mine to be able to uh, come and uh, be trusted to open the Word of God and preach the Word of God in, in our pastor's absence, but it's a joy and privilege to be here. I'm going to invite you to take your copy of God's Word, turn in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Titus, chapter number 2. The book of Titus, chapter number 2, and we're going to begin reading in verse number 11. Titus chapter 2, verse number 11. I want to use a thought this morning with the help of the Holy Spirit on lessons from grace. Lessons from grace. Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 15. If you found your place and you're able, I'm going to invite you to stand as we honor and reverence the reading of the inspired, infallible, inerrant Word of God. Notice with us this morning what the Bible says. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no one despise you. You may be seated. Father, in the wonderful name of Jesus, Lord, we pause just a moment for prayer. Lord, I thank you for this grand opportunity that I have today to meet with the dear people of this great church for the purpose of worship, for the purpose of exalting the wonderful name of our God and our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And what a privilege, Lord, it has been thus far. But now, oh God, we've come to the time that's been set aside for the reading and the proclamation of the Word of God. And I pray for the next few minutes, oh God, that you would help me, that you would empty me out, oh God, of anything of my own. And one more time, this side of eternity, oh God, that you would help me to preach in such a manner that would bring honor and glory to the dear Son of God, that the church of God may be built up that the sinner may be saved, again, that the name of Jesus would be honored. Thank you for this time, Lord. Now make it a blessing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Lessons from grace. Just to give you just a quick background of where we're at in our text this morning, Titus was a Gentile convert who had served and traveled with the apostle Paul. And sometime around 63 to 64 A.D., uh, after uh, that Paul and uh, Titus, they left Timothy behind in Ephesus, Paul and Titus traveled on to Crete. And after a brief visit, Paul then left Titus behind to provide leadership for the Cretan churches. In Titus chapter 1 and verse 5, we see this where Paul says, For this reason I left you in Crete, that you should set in order the things that are lacking and appoint elders in every city 
as I commanded you. Shortly thereafter, the apostle Paul wrote this epistle and had it delivered to Titus. The purpose of the epistle to Titus was to instruct him in establishing the churches that, that they may be properly governed and active in maintaining sound doctrine and good works. In chapter number one, we see where uh, Paul talks to him about and gives him the qualification of the elders. And then he moved on to warn him and, and tell him about the characteristics of the false teachers that they would have to face. And in chapter number two, we see that Paul began to instruct him about the godly behavior for different groups in the church. He had a message for the older men and then the older women, the younger women and the younger men. Even in verses 9 and 10 of chapter 2, there was an admonition to the bond servants also. And in our text this morning, we understand uh, that if you look in verse 11, it says, for the grace of God, the word for ties together the practical instruction of chapter number 2, verses 1 through 10, with verses 11 through 14. Verse 11 and 14 is the theological foundation for the practical instruction that Paul gave to Titus in verses 1 through 10. And so in our text this morning, we are reminded as we read this text, we are reminded that our God is a saving God. This is one of the greatest texts on, the, on salvation in all of the Word of God. It's very heart and soul. Uh, it is the very heart and soul of the Christian faith. It simply says that God saves sinners. The purpose of the incarnation of Jesus Christ, as well as the purpose of our Christian lives in this world today, is to demonstrate that God is a saving God. We are called to holy living in order that we might demonstrate the saving power of our God. If people can't see that we've been saved from sin, then God is not properly glorified. And we want to glorify our God. We want to live in such a manner that brings honor and glory to his wonderful name. So this morning as we look at lessons from grace, there's three things that I want you to see in our text this morning. And we start number one and we see that God's grace teaches us how to live. God's grace teaches us how to live. Notice in verse number 11, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. So we see in verse number 11 that God's grace has come to us. What kind of grace? Well, it is sovereign grace. It is God's grace. I want you to think with me uh, this morning on the wonderful grace of of our loving God. Think about God's grace. God's grace is his unmerited favor toward undeserving, wicked, unworthy sinners by which he delivers them from sin and its penalty. So we are grateful for the grace of God. It's one of the greatest topics and subjects that we could, uh, that we could ever talk about, the wonderful grace of our wonderful God. 
God. So we see in verse number 11, for the grace of God, it is sovereign grace. But not only is the grace of God sovereign grace, but we see that the grace of God is saving grace. For the grace of God that brings salvation. Saving grace comes for the purpose of salvation, to rescue uh, sinners out of hell and to deliver them from the curse of God and to save them from the penalty of of sin. Aren't you glad for the grace of God this morning? Listen, uh, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every man, every woman, every boy, and every girl has fallen from the glory of God. We have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And we could never save ourselves. No one could ever be saved apart from the grace of God. We all love Ephesians chapter 2 verses number 8 and 9 where it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. So again, we see that the grace of God, sovereign grace, has come to us, and it is saving grace. It is the grace of God that brings salvation. But notice what it says, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. God's grace has appeared. Now, the word appeared there in the Greek is epiphania, epiphania. And uh, it is the root word where we get our word uh, epiphany. And we notice as we study the word of God that this verb occurs in Luke chapter number 1 with regards to Jesus' birth and also in Acts chapter 27 and verse number 20 with regard to the appearance of the sun and the stars. The only other occurrences of this verb are found in in Titus chapter 2, verse number 11, and Titus chapter 3, verse number 4, where it clearly refers to the manifestation of God's salvation. And I believe that the apostle Paul may have intended his highly suggestive term to illustrate the dawning of the light of God's gospel upon a dark and lost world. We are uh, headed into the Christmas season and when we think about when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, the epiphany of God's grace burst into the world's darkness with the light of God's glory and grace. I love the passage in John chapter number one where the Bible says, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of men and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. And then that great verse down in 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten Son from the Father, full of grace and full of 
truth. So we see the grace of God has revealed, or the grace of God was revealed, and it was personified in the Lord Jesus Christ. So when Paul said to Titus, for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. This appearing was not, it, it speaks of the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ, but it's not limited to his birth, but also refers to the incarnation entire life including his death and resurrection and exaltation which accomplished the salvation now offered to all men so we see the grace of God uh, that brings salvation has appeared to all men every let me say this this morning every sin of every person has its answer in the Lord Jesus Christ the perfect atonement of Jesus Christ the eternal son of God made all men savable there is a universal and unlimited provision in that every sin of every person has its answer in the Lord Jesus Christ there is no nation, tongue, people, or person that is excluded from his saving grace. Now, while salvation is available to all, only those who believe will be saved. And those who perish in the horrors of hell must walk over the blood-stained cross that bears their name. Because we see in the word of God, by his very nature, our God is a saving God. His gracious gift of salvation has appeared to all. That includes me and that includes you. When I think about the grace of God this morning, I think about uh, the old hymn that's called, uh, that speaks about the marvelous grace of God. Notice the words. It says, marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount outpoured, there where the blood of the lamb was spilt. Dark is the stain that we cannot hide. What can avail to wash it away? Look, there is flowing a crimson tide. Whiter than snow you may be today. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace freely bestowed on all who believe, all who are longing to see his face. Will you this moment his grace receive? Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that will pardon and cleanse within. Grace, grace, God's grace, grace that is greater than all our sin. Aren't you glad for the grace of God today? Aren't you glad that the grace of God has been extended? Aren't you glad that grace showed up in Bethlehem's manger a long time ago? Aren't you glad that God has provided a way for you and me, and not only you and me, but for the whole world to be redeemed, to be saved from our sin? Again, I say, by his very nature, our God is a saving God, and his his gracious gift of salvation has appeared for all. And we thank God for that. That's what Christmas is all about. Did you know Christmas is about God on a mission? 
when the Lord Jesus Christ stepped out of the glory that he had with his father down to the confines of a virgin's womb. He was God on a mission. He came, Jesus said, the son of man is come to seek and to save that which is lost. Paul said it like this to Timothy. He said, for this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Ladies and gentlemen, this morning, Jesus Christ, God on a mission, the wonder of wonders. Oh, how could it be that God became flesh and was given for me? The Almighty came down and walked among men. The wonder of wonders, he died for my sin. The wonder of wonders as she looked down and smiled that he was her maker as well as her her child. The, uh, and, and we think about a God incarnate coming to this earth. The wonder of wonders that God would come and save sinners is a wonderful, wonderful thought this morning. So we're grateful for the grace of God, for it is the grace of God has come to us. But not only that, I want you to notice in verse number 12, the grace of God changes us. The grace of God changes us. Look in verse number 12. It says that the grace of God is teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, that we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present age. So the grace of God has come to us, and the grace of God changes us. Listen to me. When a person comes to Christ by faith and is saved, the grace of God that saves us also changes the way we think and the way we live. If you went back and looked in verses 1 through 10 about how Paul gave a strong admonition of how, a, a God, how godly people should live, the qualities of a sound church. And it's a tall order when he told the older men to be sober and to be reverent, to be temperate, to be sound in the faith. And the younger and the older women were to be reverent in behavior and not slanderers and not given to much wine and teachers of good things. They were to admonish the young women and to love their husbands and to love their children. They were to be discreet and chaste and homemakers and obedient to their own husbands and that the word of God may not be blasphemed. And then uh, he said the younger men will be to be sober-minded. They were to show a pattern of good works. They were to show integrity and reverence and incorruptibility, to be sound in speech that cannot be condemned. You see, all of that was a tall order. How do we do that? Well, we're able to do that because the grace of God has come to us and it is the grace of God that changes us. The grace of God teaches us or the grace of God trains us. And what does it train us to do? That, that we are to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. The word deny there means to disown. It means to stand against the native-born ungodliness of 
one's heart by denying ungodliness the right to express itself by yielding to the indwelling Holy Spirit of God. How do we live this way? It's because the grace of God has come to us, the grace of God has changed us, and we have the power of the Holy Spirit of God living in our lives, and we don't live like we used to live. We don't think like we used to think. The grace of God has changed our minds, and so with the help of God the Holy Spirit, there must be a conscious, willful repudiation of the thoughts and the words and the actions that are opposed to true godliness. There must also be a renunciation of desires for things and pleasures and values derived from this present world system which is hostile to God. So he said there were some things we are to deny, but then he said there's some things we are to do we are, that, we are, that we should live soberly. And that word soberly speaks of self-control. It is a call to live sober. A call to live soberly is a call to exercise self-control over the passions and the desires that are native to our hearts so we can be like Jesus. There's also a call to uprightness, to righteousness, to live righteously, a call to goodness toward man. It is right living. It means that we're by the help of the Holy Spirit, we do what is right at all times and at all costs. We conduct ourselves in such a matter that cannot be condemned. So the grace of God that appears that, or the bring salvation has appeared to all men and it teaches us denying ungodliness that we should live soberly and righteously and then godly. That is our lives toward God. Here is a call to be like the Lord Jesus. Here is a call to live godly lives. Here is a call to live in such a manner that would please the Lord Jesus Christ. And when are we to do it? Ladies and gentlemen, we're to do it in this present age. This additional thought suggests that such Christian living must be demonstrated uh, it must be demonstrated in an evil world that is hostile to God. Folks, we live in a world system. This is an age uh, that is, uh, we live in an age where there's a world system that's organized by men in opposition to God. They are characterized, men of this age are characterized by their lust, by their lostness, and by their lawlessness. But it is God, listen, it is God's amazing grace that teaches us to live soberly and righteously and godly. Again, I cannot do that in my own power. You cannot do that in your own power. We cannot do it in our strength. We cannot do it by our genius. We cannot do it by any abilities that we have. No, listen, it is the grace of God that breaks the power of canceled sin. And to that we say, hallelujah. And thanks be unto God for the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men. And it is the grace of God that teaches us to reject worldly ungodliness and worldly lust. And it is the grace of God that helps us to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. So we see, first of all, that God's wonderful marvelous grace teaches us how to live but the second thing this morning is the grace of God teaches us who to look for 
The grace of God teaches us who to look for. Boy, it's been a tough year, has it not? I mean, with all this going on in our world today, we face challenges that we never thought we would probably have to face. And then on top of that, the chaos that's in the world, the chaos that's in our government today. And so many people, listen to me now, so many people fell in great depression after the election. And many people threw their hands up and they say, I just don't understand. I cannot understand why this election turned out this way. And I cannot understand because we've seen the choices and we tried to choose the best choice and all that's right and now this has happened. And But aren't you glad this morning that our hope is not in Washington, D.C.? Our hope is not, listen, the hope of the world is not the United States of America. The hope of the world is in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what Paul said to Titus in verse number 13. Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. That is our hope. Jesus is our hope. And when he said we are to be looking for the blessed hope, the word looking speaks of of an eager and confident expectation. The blessed hope, we we are on a daily basis, folks, we are to be eagerly looking with a confident expectation that today could be the day that Jesus comes again. That's why he calls it the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of God. It is a happy hope. That's why We should not fall into depression when we see the things that are coming on this world today. Because as Christians, listen to me, this world is not our home. We're just passing through. Our treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Ladies and gentlemen, the longer I live, the more homesick I am for heaven. Can you imagine, listen, how much sweeter it's going to be one day when we see Jesus' face to face. Jesus is coming. Now, you don't hear a whole lot of sermons on the coming again of the Lord Jesus. But listen, the early disciples, they live with a daily expectation. Can you imagine after Jesus had died on the cross, he had rose again from the dead. He had appeared to his disciples over a 40-day period, and he taught them the things concerning the kingdom of God. And then he led them outside of Jerusalem to a mountaintop, and he gave them the great commission. And he said to them to go into the world and to preach the gospel to every creature. And while Jesus Jesus spoke these things to them. While they were watching him, Jesus Christ began to be lifted up uh, from the earth. He began to be lifted up bodily into the clouds. And they stood there in amazement as they saw him going up. But then you remember what the Bible says. There was two angels that stood by and said, you men of Galilee, why do you stand here gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus that you see taken up from you this day shall come again in like manner. Ladies and gentlemen, the early church lived with a daily hope and expectation that Jesus was coming and it fueled their passion and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And in a 30 a 
year period, they took the gospel to the known world. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to be looking for Jesus. We need to live with, a, with an eager, confident expectation while we are working the works of God, doing the things that God has called us to do. Remember what Jesus said in that and that time as he was preparing his disciples for the cross, he said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me, in my Father's house or many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there you may be also. If, if we can just grasp what the Bible is saying to us today if we can live like that remember in verse number 11 it says uh, that uh, the grace of God is peer, has appeared that is the first advent but the same word in verse number 13 says looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing that is the second advent the first advent Jesus came down uh, to be the savior of the world the second advent he's coming back as king of kings and lord of lords and and he will set everything right. He will make all things new. Our hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. Let me ask you this morning, are you living? Are you living soberly and righteously and godly and looking for Jesus to come. I'll be honest with you, folks here in the sanctuary today and those that are watching on Facebook in other means, if you are not living sensible, if you're not living soberly, if you are not living righteously, if you are not living godly, then don't tell me you're looking for Jesus to come. Because if you really expect Jesus to come, it'll change the way you live. I think about my sweet wife, and I think about when she knows that our, we have three sons. Two of them are grown and married, one still at home. But she, when she knows that they are coming to visit, she wants the house just right. She'll go to the grocery store and she'll buy all the things she knows that they love and she'll get it in the refrigerator. She wants everything to be just right for them to come. And all day long while she's waiting on them to come, there is this eager, confident expectation that they're going to come. Ladies and gentlemen, if we are living our lives with a confident expectation that Jesus is coming, it'll make all the difference in the world. I want, I want to give you this scripture real quickly in the book of 1 John chapter number 3, verses 1 through 3. It says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us, listen, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now are we the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. So if we have this hope, it is a purifying hope. 
and we're looking for Jesus to come. And we're doing it with a daily expectation. So we see this morning that the grace of God teaches us. It teaches us how to live. The grace of God teaches us who to look for. And the last thing, and we'll wrap this up this morning, is that the grace of God teaches us who is Lord. Look in verse 14. It says, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. The grace of God teaches us who is Lord. First of all, in verse 14, it says he gave himself for us. Jesus paid for us. Jesus redeemed us. Jesus gave himself. It was, this speaks of his vicarious death on the cross. He gave himself for us. He was our substitute. Jesus died in our place. And he did all that to redeem us, to set us free by paying a ransom. And he has delivered us by his grace from every lawless deed. You see, the Lord Jesus paid a debt he didn't know. And I owed a debt I couldn't pay. And Jesus paid it all. In church, all to him we owe. May we not forget during this Christmas season that the hope we have is in Christ Jesus and the fact that he came into this world, that he might redeem us, that he might save us and give us hope. But not only do we see that Jesus paid for us, but he also purifies us. Did you see that in verse 14? That he might purify for himself his own special people. Jesus purifies us. What can wash away our sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Again, he saves us by his grace. And he extends his grace and mercy. And he, he purifies us and he sanctifies us. And he, he uses us for his grace and for glo his glory. And then did you see that Jesus possesses us? Look, it says that he he might, uh, that he might purify for himself his own special people. Jesus is Lord. We belong to him. He purchased me at the cross. I belong to the Lord Jesus. And then it says that he prepares us for every good work. Did you see that? That we might be zealous for every good work. So Paul is telling Titus, this is what I want you to teach the people in the church. This is how that they are to live in accordance with proper, with a thing we should live that uh, in accordance to proper living in accordance to sound doctrine. And so he says we are to be zealous of every good work. That's why we do what we do. The grace of God teaches us to be zealous for every good work. So I would say this morning in conclusion, therefore knowing what all he has done and why he has done it, a Christian who truly loves Christ, truly been saved and loves Christ, and one who is looking forward to his return, by the grace of God and the help of the Holy Spirit will endeavor to live a life of conformity 
with his beloved Lord's will because we do not want to disappoint him at his coming. John said it like this in 1 John, that we would not have to be ashamed before him when he comes. We've already said it, but we'll say it again. Marvelous, infinite, matchless grace, freely bestowed on all who believe, all who are longing to see his face. Will you this moment, his grace, receive? So we see the grace of God teaches us how to live. The grace of God has come to us. The grace of God changes us. The grace of God teaches us who to look for. We're looking for the blessed hope and the appearance of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And the grace of God teaches us who is Lord. They're coming to get a verse of an invitation song and we're going to sing this morning. I would ask those of you here and those of you that are watching this morning by other means, do you know for sure that you're saved? Do you know for sure if you died today that you'd go to heaven? Has there been a time in your life where you have repented of your sins and you have believed the gospel? You have confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. You believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. Have you put your trust in Christ alone? If you have not, would you today his grace receive. Right where you're at, would you pray and ask the Lord Jesus to forgive you of your sins and, and confess that he is your Lord. Confess you believe that he died on the cross and rose again from the dead. Would you put your trust in Christ alone? And then maybe you're here in this place or watching and you say, Brother Mark, I know that I'm saved but I just feel like I've wandered away from God and I'm just not as close to God. Well, all of this is going on in the world today. I just feel, I just feel a distance from the Lord. Listen, the, great, the same grace that saves you is the grace that keeps you. And the Bible says if we have wandered from fellowship with God, if we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would you today make a fresh commitment? Would you today confess whatever it is that's caused the distance between you and the Lord? Remember, your union can never be broken, but your communion can be if we have unconfessed sin. Would you just pray and confess your sin and ask God, the Holy Spirit, to fill you again? And would you pray for revival in your own life, revival in the church? We thank God for this great church. And I know God is using this great church to touch this community, this state, the nation, and the world. But we need to daily recommit to be a people that are zealous to good works. Father, Thank you for watching or listening to one of our sermons. We would love to have the opportunity to connect with you one-on-one. We are not a perfect church, but we are a joyful church, and we want to help you increase your joy in Christ. We would love for you to come and worship with us one day soon. You'll be able to find information about our worship services, about who we are, what we believe, what we do, what we're hoping to accomplish on our website at ironcity.org. 
we would invite you to go and to check out all the information there. We look forward to seeing you soon.